Well, hey, good morning, church. It is uh, so good to see you this morning. Can we just give a hand for our worship team? I'm just so thankful for Alec and his leadership and his team and just helping to usher us into the throne room of grace this morning and prepare our hearts to hear his word. We're just so thankful for them. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you do me a favor, grab your Bibles, your device, whatever you've got this morning, head to Jonah 4. Um, we're going to be in Jonah 4 today. And uh, I don't know if there's anyone else that are big fall fans. Fall's on the way. I don't know if uh, I, I love summer. I'm not out on summer, but I really love fall. And there's a lot of reasons I do that. One is because football's back and I don't have to watch baseball anymore. Okay, so that's, that's one of the things I get excited about. And, and fall just brings a lot of new activities. Our kids are back at school. Our family thrives when we're on a schedule. All of their activities have kicked off again. You'll see at our church, our youth ministries are kicking off. Our small group ministry is kicking off. Women's Bible studies kicking off. Just so many things are happening this fall. We're going to start a new series. There's a lot of excitement um, heading, uh, heading our way. So, so I get excited about fall, and, and I don't know what it is. I may be the only one. But, but, but slipping on a sweatshirt or, or, or a sweater or a light jacket in, on a cool day, like that just feels like home to me. So I'm excited for, for where we're headed and what's coming in this season. Today's a really special day in the Gravelin household. Not only do I get to be here to worship with you and to open God's word with you this morning, but it's my wife's birthday. And, and to, yeah, give it up for Don, right? Um, we're, we're, we're excited. Uh, we're going to have a great morning at church, and then we get to celebrate another year of my wife's awesomeness with her today. So if you see her wandering around the building, please wish her a happy birthday. We love her dearly. Um, we're finishing a, a four-week series this weekend on Jonah. We've been in Jonah for the last four weeks. And an important thing we do as we wrap up this series is to kind of talk about where we've been. I want everybody here this morning to kind of be on the same page as we wrap up this series. And so as we start this morning, I just want to spend a few minutes to get us caught up. Jonah isn't a long book of the Bible. It's, it's four chapters long. It's 44 verses. So this won't take long. But I think it's important we do that before we wrap this series up. In chapter one, we meet Jonah. And, and Jonah's a, a prophet of God being called to uh, go to Nineveh and preach a message of repentance. And, and Jonah's response is, no thank you, I'm gonna head the other way. And we, out of a fear and a hatred for the people that live in Nineveh, Jonah rebels against God. He runs the other way. He chooses his own path. And, and, and while doing that, he puts himself in danger. He puts those around him in danger. And it leads Jonah to this place of despair. The key point here in chapter 1 is that God, in his love for Jonah, doesn't stop pursuing him. He continues to chase after him and relentlessly pursues him. In chapter 2, we, we catch up with Jonah in the belly of a fish. Okay, not a great day for anyone to wake up uh, in a fish. But while there, Jonah cries out to God in distress. And he comes to the realization that God, his God, our God, is a God of salvation. And, and, and Jonah is willing to go where God wants him to go and do what God wants him to do. In essence, we find Jonah in a fish preaching the gospel to himself. He repents, and he is spit out on the shore, and he heads to Nineveh. In chapter 3, Jonah preaches probably one of the longest sermons ever recorded, right? Eight, day, eight words in total. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he could have made it a little shorter. I think we see in chapter 3, Jonah's heart is like 40 days until y'all burn. 
Okay, that's where Jonah's heart is at. He's direct in his message. He gets right to the point, and we see God using that message to bring repentance to the people that live there. They, they turn away from evil. They turn away from violence, and they turn towards God. I want to make sure uh, before we move on that we clearly understand repentance here. I don't I'd want us to miss this. Repentance is not just recognizing that what you're doing is wrong. It's just not recognizing your sin. It's just not recognizing that you feel the guilt, the shame. You feel bad about what you're doing. Repentance requires movement. It requires us to change direction. Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. There's this idea if we don't change our ways, we're going to continue in our ways. We are fools. Repentance is turning away from the sin in our lives and turning to obedience in God, turning to what is holy. True repentance impacts our actions and absolutely changes the way we live. The last verse in chapter 3 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It's the perfect ending to the story, right? Every, everybody, everybody is saved. Everybody's repented. Uh, we, can, we can close our Bibles and pray, right? Well, the, the only problem with that is that there's a chapter 4. There's a chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to talk about that today. The big idea this morning, or, or should I say the big question this morning that I have for you is, whose page are you on? Whose page are you on? Let's jump into our text for this morning. I'm going to start in the last verse of Jonah 3. I'm going to start in verse 10 of chapter 3 and then read all of Jonah 4. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. I want to point out here, Jonah's displeased exceedingly. It was extremely evil to Jonah that the people of Nineveh had turned from their evil ways and that God was now sparing them. He thought that that was evil. Or maybe even worse, in this moment as God is doing this, Jonah might even think that God is evil. Verse 2, he's, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. How's our boy doing? not going well right now. Verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, 
which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do, not know, who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Wow. Jonah's not doing well here, right? And I, and I find myself over and over again as I'm reading this text like, stop, Jonah, what are you doing? What are you thinking? He wants to die. He says it over and over again. He wants to see the city destroyed. He wants to see them punished for their wicked ways. He has condemned them in their heart. And, and one thing I want to I point out right now, does, does Jonah seem to be like in harmony with his emotions right now? Does he seem to be like a balanced individual thinking and processing things well right now? I, I don't think so. He goes from being exceedingly glad in verse 6 to asking to die. Yet again, Jonah has asked to die over and over and over again in this book just a couple of verses later. Lots of high highs and low lows in this conversation with God. All of this playing out in front of us, yet God's asking about the cows, right? What about the cows? Did you guys see the cattle they've got there? This chapter just got uh, a little weird. The first point that I want to draw out from this text is that God makes the appointments in your life. God makes the appointments in your life. We see this over and over again throughout the book of Jonah, so do not miss it. In chapter 1, verse 2, God sends his prophet Jonah to Nineveh. Okay, he sends Jonah to Nineveh. In, in verse 4 of chapter 1, he now hurls a storm. Okay, God hurls a storm. In verse 7, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. In 17, God appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God making appointments over and over and over again. Steve, is, is Jonah thinking that these are good appointments or bad appointments at this point in time? These are bad appointments. Like Jonah is not digging how things are going right now. In chapter 2, verse 10, God spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Like, listen, you could say that's a good thing because he's out of the fish. He was still thrown up by a fish. I'm just going to say that's still a bad day, okay? In, in chapter 3, verse 1, Jonah again is appointed by God to preach, Nineveh, uh, per, to preach repentance, excuse me, to Nineveh. And then in chapter 4, verse 6, he appoints a plant, made it come up over Jonah. That's the first thing where Jonah's like, wow, this is good. This brought comfort to me. And then in the very next verse, God appoints a, a worm that kills the plant. Again, Jonah not loving what's going on right now. In, in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. So he was fake. God making appointments over and over and over again in this book leads me to the realization that our lives are way less random than we want to believe. God affirms this elsewhere in Scripture as well. If you look at Habakkuk 1.5, it says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then in Philippians one. Verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The truth is, is that, that we're quick to acknowledge God's appointments in our life when they, when they work in our favor, when they make us more comfortable, much like Jonah must have felt when God sent the plant, right? Finally, some comfort. We struggle with God's appointments 
when they don't work in our favor, when they make us uncomfortable. Outside of the plant, the things God appointed for Jonah tended to be unpleasant from Jonah's perspective. And I've yet to be vomited out of the fish, but like, again, that's just a bad day. We need to see God's hand in all things, not just the comfortable things, but in all things. He's actively at work, not just in the good, but also in the bad. James 1, verses 2 through 4 say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In these verses, we see that God is doing something good even in the bad season. He's producing steadfastness in us and believers through the trials we face. There's a purpose for them. We need to understand this and embrace this peace as believers. Our perspective on the level of God's involvement in our lives will have significant impact on the way we love others. It's going to have a significant impact on the amount of joy we experience. As Christians, we stand on the authority of God's word, right? We hold his word high. We know that the Bible is not a book about our lives and who we are, but it's a book about God and who he is and his heart for us. We need to get on God's page. This leads us into our, our second point. What happens when we're on the wrong page? And, I, and I've got five points here. We'll, we'll, we'll cruise through these as we, as we look at the text. But the first thing we see that happens when we're on the wrong page, when we're not on God's page, is we get angry. We get angry. In chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better, to me, for, better for me to die than live. And God said, you do well to be angry. Another meaning for angry in this text, if you break down the, the, the language here, is hot. Jonah's hot in this moment. He's angry. He's hot. And, and I think God recognizes this because he's going to show Jonah what hot is all about when he sends a wind in just a few verses. But as you look at this, as you, as you see Jonah, as you see this conversation playing out as he's talking with God, do you get the feeling that, that if he had to do it all over again, that Jonah would make the same choice? See, I think, I think Jonah would, would choose this path again if he had to do it all over. When I look at his response, I don't think Jonah wanted Nineveh to be spared. I don't think he wanted the city to be saved. I, I think if God had said, I'm going to destroy Nineveh, like Jonah's running to the city, he's got his, his, his graham crackers, his chocolate, and his marshmallows, and he's making s'mores while the city burns. I think that's Jonah's heart in this moment. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want them to be shown mercy by God. Jonah, Jonah says, I'm angry because you forgave them, God. I'm angry because you forgave them. He doesn't want God to be who God is in this moment. Jonah wants God to be who Jonah wants God to be. And Jonah understands who God is. Like, there's not an issue with Jonah's theology. You see him in this verses quoting from Exodus 34, 6, and 7. He knows and understands who God is. He knows he's gracious. He knows he's merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah knows who God is. He just doesn't like him. He just doesn't like him 
in this moment. Jonah did not want God to show mercy to the Assyrians. Why? Well, well, because they're rebelling against God. They're vicious. They're, they're, they're ruthless people. They're rebelling against you. And Jonah feels this way in spite of the fact that God continues to so, show Jonah great mercy and forgiveness in spite of Jonah's own rebellion. We don't have to look far to see that there are people who, who struggle to accept a God who loves everybody regardless of their sin. They want a God who is only loving without being just. And on the other hand, you have people who struggle to accept a God who will forgive horrible people that do horrible things. These people want to see justice carried out. They're not a big fan of showing mercy. And the reality is, the God of the Bible, our God, is both. He is loving and he is just. He is merciful and he will judge sin. If we only worship the attributes of God that we align with, we are not worshiping God for who he is. This is dangerous territory for us to be in. Being a, being a soul care counselor at this church, I have the privilege to, to walk alongside people who may be going through tough seasons and it may be difficulty in marriage or, or parenting or struggles at work. And many times the questions asked like, why is this happening? Why would, why would God who loves me let these things happen to me? And, and we take time to unpack and talk through those things, but inevitably I lead them to the fact, well, well, God is doing this because God loves you. God is at work in the trial and he's drawing near to you and he wants you to draw near to him and he's growing you and changing you through this trial because he loves you. When we, we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, it's very easy for us to get our eyes off God and, and, they, and they come on ourselves, right? We put them on ourselves and we tend to get self-righteous telling ourselves, I deserve this thing. Maybe it's fame, maybe it's fortune, maybe it's peace, whatever those things are. And, and those who have sinned against us or are doing wrong against us, well, they deserve a fiery death, right? That's what happens. We get our eyes off God and we become self-absorbed. Instead of leaning into God and his promises to bring us peace despite our circumstances, our anger grows. And because things aren't working out the way they're supposed to, we continue in our sin. We continue in our trial. And as sin accelerates, our anger turns to despair. Our despair turns to depression. And then we find ourselves thinking life isn't worth living anymore. That's where, that's where Jonah finds himself in chapter 4. And God asks him this question, Right? Do you do well to be angry? God's asking Jonah, how are things going for you? You're doing this your way. You've got your eyes off of me, Jonah. How's that working out? How are the choices that you're making in this moment? How are they helping your situation? You see, the solution to Jonah's problem cannot be found in Jonah. It can only be found in God. A God who is gracious, a God who is merciful, a God who is just and pursues us even as we run in the other direction. And if you're wrestling with how God can be infinitely just and infinitely loving, well, well, let me do this. Can I just point you to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Like all I have to do is point you to what happened there. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for all sin, then God is just. Because sin was punished then and there once and for all. God is just. He dealt with sin. And in doing so, he also proved his infinite love for us that in the fact that he poured it out on himself. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't send his wrath out on us. He took it on himself. 
And through this free gift paid for by an incredible sacrifice, we get to experience a deep, a personal relationship with a loving Savior. We need to get on God's page with this. Next, we see uh, when we're on the wrong page, when our eyes are on ourselves and, and not on God, we withdraw. We withdraw. In chapter 4, verse 5, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Self-absorbed people in a downward spiral towards despair want nothing more than to be left alone. Just leave me alone. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I just want to be alone and sit here and do nothing. Leave me alone. And that's probably the biggest and worst mistake that we can make. Throughout the whole book of Jonah, we see Jonah alone. The text doesn't say that when God called him initially to go to Nineveh and preach repentance, it doesn't say that he talked to his buddies. He didn't go to a small group and say, like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Should I do this? We find him sleeping below deck on a ship away from the crew. He's alone in a fish. He's walking through a large city full of people alone. And now here he leaves the city. He's alone again. From my own experience, I don't make a lot of great decisions when I make them alone. As pastor over the small group ministry here at the church, I'm always looking for ways to improve how I lead and consider ways of doing things differently so that they don't get stale. I talk with pastors at other churches to see what they're doing, to see um, if their studies they're doing, to see how they were doing small groups through pandemic. I'm talking with other people. I like to pick their brain for new ideas and see if there's ways that we can grow and change, that I can grow and change. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to collaborate with other churches in this endeavor. But rather um, than implement those ideas, have those conversations, and then make those decisions right away on my own, I, I don't do that. I, I'm, I'm quick to consult the people that I know and love and trust here. So when I get a good idea, I'm usually talking to the guys on my family care team, Pastor Adam, Pastor Craig, asking those guys what they think. I'll talk to Calvin. I'll talk to Dave and say, hey, what do you think about these things? I'm rarely making decisions without some plurality around it. Make no mistake, I make the final call. Okay, that's, that's my responsibility as, as oversight of the ministry. That's my decision. But it's rare that I ever do that without consulting those that I trust to hear different viewpoints. I allow other voices to offer counsel to the decision I'm making, whether they agree or disagree, especially when those decisions have great impact. We need other people speaking into our lives. We need people pointing us to Jesus, sharing wisdom with us, loving us enough to potentially create friction in our relationship by speaking truth into our lives, by saying the things that we need to hear. Listen, that's why small group is such an important and foundational ministry here. We need people coming alongside of us to, to help us, to care for us, to encourage us and point us to Jesus. We need that in our lives. But, but Jonah here, he isn't losing his small group. Jonah's not fleeing Christian community here. He's, he's fleeing from a pagan culture. He's left the city and he's still hopeful that God will destroy them. He's still holding out hope. He wants to watch and see what happens. And here's the thing. You, you see, Jonah has gone and he's preached a message and, and people are repenting. He's had a positive impact on the city of Nineveh. He's, he's made a difference. People are turning from their sin. They're turning to God. The whole city just repented. Do you think 
further discipleship was needed there? Do you think that Jonah could have stuck around and had impact and could have locked arms with people as they, as they, as they walked through their, their obedience to God? Do you think that he could have stayed there and continued to pray for people as they move forward in obedience to God? For sure. He could have done that, but Jonah withdrew. At Harvest, you, you'll hear our leaders often talk about our church being a, a vertical church, right? And, and what that means for us in being a vertical church just means we exist to give glory to God. We exist to give glory to God. We are serious about disciple-making here. Um, our mission is to make disciples. We desire, we desire to instill a worldview that is distinctly different than the worldview of our culture. And we are going to be in a series this fall that does exactly that. We're going to start a new series next week that focuses on that piece. Many churches in this area all over our country, all over the world, would describe themselves as missional churches or community churches with their goal to be reforming their neighborhoods and their cities. They run many great programs to, to better their communities. It's outreach-driven, and there's nothing wrong with that. Have you noticed our church doesn't run a lot of community programs? We don't run a lot of community programs, and it's because our desire is that you as believers and followers of Jesus Christ would embrace the personal responsibility that we have to engage our culture with the gospel. We believe that a vertical church that makes disciples will impact their community not through their programs, but through their people. We will have impact through our people. Our faith should be lived out in our community day by day, not just here on Sunday when we gather corporately or when we gather together with our small groups. In Ephesians 4, chapters 11 and 12, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Things are getting more and more hostile outside these walls. Would you agree? Things are getting harder and harder. So my question for us all this morning is, what are we like when we leave this place? What are we like when we leave this place? Are we, are we living out what we believe? Could someone you didn't know look at your life and see God's fingerprints moving in and through you as you do life outside these walls? As you look at your social media, is your, is your first move to love or to condemn? Do you volunteer your time at local organizations or, or coaching youth sports? Is your home open for people to come and visit and do fellowship with you? The way we live in our communities, not withdraw from our communities, is what gives the gospel platform. We believe in this practice and want to give God glory in how we live out our faith each and every day day. Next, we'll see that when we're on the wrong page, we become emotionally unanchored. We become emotionally unanchored. In verse 6, the Lord God appointed a plant made to come up for over Jonah um, to save him from his discomfort. And he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, attacked the plant, and it withered and when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than live. I said this earlier, but, but our boy Jonah is all over the place. He's flooded with emotions. And when our emotions become ruled by whether we agree with what God is doing or, or by our current circumstances, 
we become what, what James 1, um, uh, uh, verse 6 says, one who, like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When we don't see the circumstances in our lives as divine appointments, we get angry. We withdraw or isolate ourselves. Life is going to toss us around in those moments. In three verses, we see Jonah go from um, overwhelmingly, or to being overwhelmingly joyous and glad to wanting to die. That escalated really quickly. He's emotionally unanchored. You see, the plant represented comfort to Jonah. If we can be honest with each other this morning, when God messes with our comfort, we get upset. I I love comfort. There's nothing more frustrating for me than when something or someone gets in the way of my comfort. I've got, I've got three kiddos at home. They're 14, they're 12, and they're 11. And, and I don't know if I'm the only one that has this issue, but something happens in the hearts of my kiddos at bedtime. It's like uh, when, when we get ready for bed and, and everyone's getting ready for bed, it's like they become three little mini disciples that want to know and understand the kingdom of God in ways that they haven't wanted to the entire day. As soon as I'm, uh, we put them to bed, and I'm kind of climbing into bed next to them, we're, we're going we're gonna, to uh, continue our binge of the latest Netflix series or hang out and talk for a little bit. Very quickly, one of them will come in, and, and I get these questions, right? And I'm not going to give their names out because I don't want to shame my kids. I don't want them to feel bad about this. Um, but I'll get questions uh, like this. Um, what happens, Dad, when we go to heaven? What does that look like? Can you unpack heaven for me right now as we're getting ready to go to bed? Um, this is another common one. Dad, will you pray with me again? Like the, the prayer that I, I did 30 seconds before didn't take for some reason. We need to do it again, Dad. Can you try this again? Dad, when's the next middle school ministry beach day? These are all questions I'm getting at night. Um, Dad, tomorrow can we play wiffle ball? Okay, that's Liam, all right? We, I, I give him away. I can't help it. He's our sports junkie, right? He's, he's asking about wiffle ball. And when that happens, I'm like, really? Now? <laughs> like, like, listen, I've, I've spent six hours with you um, since I picked you up from school, and I've only been able to muster a grunt and an eye roll, and now you want to under, unpack the, the kingdom of God. It gets frustrating for me. And, and, and it's, I get short, and I often end up saying things that I have to ask forgiveness for because it interrupted my time of comfort. Love of self gets in the way of loving God and one another. And God asked Jonah a question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to be angry for it? This is the second time God has asked him this question. Do you think he's trying to make a point with Jonah here? He's like, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah reflects the position of his heart as he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. We need to get on the same page as God. Comfort is not the main objective for the believer. How willing are you to be uncomfortable for the gospel? Is there someone in your life right now that you need to seek out and ask for forgiveness? Is there a hard conversation that you need to have with someone in your life right now. And listen, I know how God works. I know there's names coming to mind in you right now, and I know there's a wrestle going on in your heart right now as God is moving even in this moment. He's making appointments for you right now. Are you willing to set your comfort aside and do what God is asking you to do? Are you willing to be uncomfortable for the gospel and for God's glory? I pray that we are. When we're on the wrong page, we lose sight of God's love for his people. We lose sight 
of God's love for his people. In, in verse 10, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for these verses and how they reshape and reinforce my trust in God's love for his people. God is counting the number of people. He's talking about cattle. And what God is communicating there is that there are a lot of people. And back then, cattle was a me- measure of your resources, right? A measure of your wealth. God is saying that Nineveh is a great city. It's a great city. We see a great city full of people who are directionless. A city full of people rebelling against God, practicing evil ways. And we see God intervening and showing them great love and forgiveness. God asked Jonah about his concern for the plant. And listen, that's something that people don't normally show a lot of concern or affection for. And if I've offended you or your plants this morning, please forgive me. But God is pressing in on Jonah's inappropriate expression of anger for which he had done nothing. He hadn't planted it. He hadn't watered it. He hadn't done anything to encourage its growth. It truly was a gift of God's grace, yet he's expressing great anger over it. And while he's angry about the plant, he is indifferent to the fate of the people of Nineveh. He cares a lot about this plant right now. He doesn't care anything about the people in Nineveh. And this stands in direct contrast to God's love for his creation. His love for people created in his own image. Jonah was concerned about a relatively insignificant part of creation, a plant, while God was deeply concerned about the people of Nineveh. God had created them. He had nurtured them and was now extending them mercy. I found a quote that I really liked I want to share with you this morning. It's from author G.B. Smith, and he said this, God will and does act in justice against sin, but his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. To experience the grace of God and not be willing to tell others of his compassion is a tragedy all must avoid. Messengers of God can neither limit the grace of God nor control its distribution, but they can prevent God's grace from having an effect on their own lives. Jonah was not responsible for the plant or for Nineveh. It was God's all along. And Jonah had lost sight of God's love for his people, and it ultimately wrecked him as he saw God move in ways that were consistent with God's character. We have the opportunity as believers to reflect God's love for his people. And Jesus makes it clear to us. In in John 13, verses 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, my my family and I have been locked up for the better part of the last two weeks with, with COVID issues. And we've been overwhelmed by the love and support of our church family. We've never eaten better. So many have have dropped off meals for us and dropped off snacks for the kids and so many calls and prayers and texts of support. Like we have been blown away by the outpouring of your love for our family. Morale was, was very low at our house. 
as we navigated two weeks of quarantine. We missed soccer games, we missed the first week of school, but we were blown away by the love that the people in this church came alongside us and supported us. You helped to sustain my family in a difficult time. You were a reflection of God's love for people. You cannot say that you love God and not share in his love for people. The last point that that I want to share with you this morning is that when we're on the wrong page, we lose sight of God's love for us. We lose sight of God's love for us. Please don't leave this series on the book of Jonah without being confronted with the way God responds to Jonah. While, While Jonah has quit on God, God will not quit on Jonah. He is constantly appointing, constantly coming alongside, constantly pursuing, which to me points out the greater difference between religion and the gospel. Through religion, man is trying to clear a bar, to hit a standard, to perform in a way that would allow him to reach God. If I do this and this, or if I give this much, or if I'm really a good person, I'm in. God will accept me. Conversely, and and so thankfully, the gospel is God making a way to reach man, to reach us. In spite of our rebellion, in spite of our worship and things other than God, he loved us so much that he gave his only son that we should spend an eternity with him in heaven. And then the book ends. We, we, we don't know what Jonah's next move was or, or how it all ended for him, and I believe that's the point. We're not supposed to. We're not supposed to know what happened. And I think the real ending to the book is for us to see ourselves as Jonah. The real ending is a question. What will we do? What will we do now? Jonah failed because he failed to see himself as the Ninevites, as someone in need of grace and mercy. We fail this morning if we fail to see ourselves as Jonah. I have a love-hate relationship with this book. I love how it speaks to me. I love that I am yet again affirmed of God's pursuit of my heart. I love to be reminded about how God uses broken and imperfect people to be a light for his hope and his love and his grace in the world. And then I hate that when I read this book, I realize just how much like Jonah I am. I can find myself wanting to choose my own way, tempted to operate in my feelings and wanting to be in control over what happens next and what doesn't. Maybe it's the same for you this morning. And how when I get to that space, it usually ends up with me on my face in humility, seeking to take steps of obedience that would glorify God. And God in his grace, he welcomes me. He welcomes me with open arms. We're going to close a little differently this morning. Normally I would come up and and I would say a prayer and then the band would come up. We would stand and we respond corporately in worship. We would all sing together. But instead I want us to sit here for a moment. And I'd like for you to bow your heads as we we close here this morning. Alex is going to come out. Priscilla is going to come out. And they're just going to sing a song over you. And I have just a few questions for you to consider as they do that, as they sing over us about an ever-loving, ever-chasing God. As we close the series, as you think about Jonah, consider these questions. Are there areas in your life that indicate you're running from God? Are there areas in your life that indicate you're running from God? 
are those close to you. It could be family, it could be friends, those you're doing life with. Are those close to you suffering in any way because of your rebellion? Are they suffering because of your rebellion? What's that stronghold in your life that you're not willing to give up? Do you find yourself this morning in despair? Do you find yourself this morning in anger, needing to return to a God who loves you enough to never give up on pursuing you? If this is you right now, there's good news. God can reach you there. Repentance requires movement, return to God. He is pursuing you. His love and grace are welcoming you. Father God, I thank you for um, this time, this message this morning. I'm thankful for this book where you just um, affirm yet again your relentless pursuit of us in our hearts. And God, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our sin, you made a way for us to have relationship with you. You made a way when there was no way. And God, I'm just so thankful for what you've done. I pray that our hearts would be soft. I pray that our hearts would be changed this morning as we learn from your word, as we open it together. And I pray that we would just respond now. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.